Hey all, if you're catching this one right when it comes out in mid-February, I'll have you know that in real time, as you're listening, I'm fresh off a plane from a trip to Bangladesh. At recording time, though, I'm preparing for that trip. We're really looking forward to this trip to Bangladesh, exploring research opportunities along the food-water nexus, and we're looking forward to co-developing some really interesting collaborative projects with our colleagues there. So we'll be talking more about that in future episodes. But for now, we're getting back into it with Ian James. He's a reporter with the Arizona Republic newspaper in Phoenix. Last episode, he told me some harrowing stuff about violence against small farmers in Peru who were seeing large farm companies running water pipes through their area, all while they were seeing their water levels drop. And then there was the big bottled water battle, namely around Nestle Waters North America actions in a national forest in the United States. And actually, in that conversation... I brought up how I had been a guest on KPCC in Pasadena with Larry Mantle's Air Talk show. The kicker is I was on with the CEO of Nestle Waters North America, who left that company less than two years later. Well, my producer has been able to get permission to play a portion of that interview. We'd like to thank Southern California Public Radio for working with us on that. And it was a bombshell moment. It really was. We were at the height of a drought in California at that time. This is in May 2015. Good afternoon. It's Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. The bottled water industry in California is our focus. Tim Brown, the CEO of Nestle Waters North America, which bottles waters under a number of... question is, what is the level of, of corporate responsibility when you've got this free resource that you're able to financially exploit? Does that imply a higher standard in uh, your custodial responsibility for how you manage this resource and whether you continue to take it, even in a time when California is facing a historic drought? Sure. And and, and really, uh, the question is, we, and we agree that there's uh, potentially a change in how we, we look at water in the state of California. But let's remember, uh, this water's going for human consumption, uh, the vast majority of it. Uh, it's been happening out of this one particular place for 120 years. Uh, so we feel good about what we're doing, uh, delivering healthy hydration uh, to people throughout the state of California, as we've been doing for over 100 years. Uh, Jay Familietta, your your thoughts on, on this and the use of the resource? Well, Tim, I, I, I wonder, I want to follow up on Larry's um, point about the corporate responsibility. And, uh, you know, I'm just wondering, and it sounds like I know the answer already, do you have any intention of ceasing bottle bottling operations I, I, in California? And, and if not, why not? Personally, I think that would buy you a tremendous amount of consumer goodwill and, and be a great thing in the long run. And add to your, you know, pretty pretty strong uh, reputation in terms of uh, environmental stewardship in other areas. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, in fact, uh, if I could increase it, I would, uh, because again, we're we're delivering healthy hydration. We can trace seventy percent of the increase in bottled water over the last twenty years directly from the decrease in carbonated soft drinks. The fact is, if I stop bottling water tomorrow, people would buy a different brand of bottled water. We see that every day. This episode, we're digging into Ian James' most recent project. It's all about groundwater depletion in Arizona. You're listening to Let's Talk About Water, a podcast by the Global Institute for Water Security and the Walrus Lab. 
Okay. Okay. Let's 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 talk 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 about about water 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 water. Is that it? Yeah. Again, this is part two of my interview with Ian James. Now let's hit. Oh gosh. Now let's hit this. Now let's hit that sweet, sweet theme music and get right into it. There it is. I do love it. Um, now I would like to ask you about your monster series that uh, people are still talking about at the, uh, what was it, six articles in the Arizona Republic? Um, That's right. And, and the, the, the traction that those are getting. Yeah, so we began this project with a simple question, wanting to look at how have groundwater levels declined in Arizona, and especially in areas where there is no regulation and no limits on how much water can be pumped. And I worked together with my colleagues, Rob O'Dell and Mark Henley on this project. And we started by basically requesting a lot of data and looking at patterns and looking at areas of the state where the biggest declines were happening. And we found several areas that really are hot spots of water depletion where water levels have been dropping. It's a long-term problem, but we also found that it's been getting worse and that the trends are worse in areas where there are no rules limiting pumping. Um, so what uh, what have you been what have you been seeing? I know in some of your stories I've been reading about wells going dry. Uh, how is this impacting people? Well in unregulated areas it's basically a free for all of pumping. So a company or an investment firm can come buy land, drill as many wells as they want pump as much water as they want, and the state doesn't regulate or limit that in any way. And so the effect that that's had is some people who live near these large farming operations have seen their wells failing. Uh, Their wells have gone dry. They've been left paying for trucked shipments of water to just uh, subsist. Some people have turned to friends and have been bringing water in their cars with, uh, you know, plastic water bottles. The Arizona Republic has done some videos with Ian's colleague, Mark Henley. They talk to local officials, farmers, and people who have had their wells go dry. We've gotten permission to play some of it to give a sense of what people are saying in rural parts of Arizona. The cottonwoods would be the first thing to die. Then when things like that happen, people say, oh my gosh, it's horrible. But it's way too late at that point to do anything. What you're about to hear really gets into how big farms are exporting hay, but Arizona residents are calling for groundwater regulation. This is some pretty emotional stuff. Here it is. The well always seemed to uh, work okay, you know. And then all of a sudden, four years ago, they started building more of these farms, and people started losing their pumps. We just got to push through it. I'd probably end up taking a muscle relaxant tonight. It depends. I save them for when I'm in tears. I have 
petitions right here and over 500 signatures from people that are concerned about this issue, asking the state to help them and to listen to them and to please do something to help protect their water. We've never been this short of water before. I'm doing what I can with two wells. They've both been running for over 90 days, 24 hours a day, so I'm making all the water I can make. I've asked the schools both to do what they can to conserve. I guess the owner, Bill Farr, had called them and asked them not to water their fields or they would cut their water off. So now they're playing ball on dirt. Uh, I, I've got to tell you, Valley Fever, um, the fact that if those kids get hurt on dirt rather than grass, we are putting ourselves in a position of lawsuits. As long as there's people living there, it's going to go down. It'll never come back. We developed that farm down there back in the late 70s, early 80s. Then we sold, we sold it out, but we still, we still run cows, cattle ranch. These, these guys come in, they're drilling deeper wells, getting into, you know, finding more water. But it's affected old wells around, just like we're out where I live. It's just the way it is. It's not, it's not good for anybody, but as long as people are going to live here, it isn't going to change. If we don't get, gain control of the situation, and, and nobody likes regulation or government or, or any of that sort of thing, but, you know, this is a real problem. It's, it's going on. You know, it's happening in real time. Our livelihood depends on what the water is here. I mean, that's what it is anywhere. You know, like the old saying is, is whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting over. And that's about what we're getting to today. Uh, we're conserving it by putting everything we farm is in drip. You know, it's, it's been like this forever, and let's keep it this way. We're kind of maybe a little old-fashioned, but we're gonna, we police our own selves here if they just, you know, just give us a chance. And if we don't start addressing that issue with these basins that are unrestricted, you know, uh, once the water's gone, it's gone. You can't get it back. That was audio from the special report on azcentral.com. That's the Arizona Republic's website. It's really tragic, Ian, that we're seeing this all over the world, but seeing it in the United States, you're seeing it in Arizona. I know you made a trek to, didn't you go and visit East Porterville in the Central Valley? Basically the same situation? I did, yes. Um, so... Um, Hopefully, in California, at least, there's now the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. But what you're talking about um, in Arizona are these regions that are outside of what are called the the AMAs, the Active Management Areas. Is that correct? Yes. Um, just to let listeners know that, uh, of course, we're well aware that the Colorado River Basin, uh, which... Uh, carries the water, the lifeblood of the Western United States, has been um, over-allocated for years. The allocations were done in a period that was anomalously wet uh, or for the history of the United States, and uh, ever since it's been over-allocated. Um, in recent years, uh, uh, southwestern United States has undergone very, very long-term drought. Levels in Lakes Powell and Mead, the biggest reservoirs in the United States, have been dropping. It's becoming increasingly clear that um, that some cutbacks would have to happen. So the basin states got together uh, last year or over the last few years and worked out what's called the Drought Contingency Plan. Um, and Arizona, which has junior water rights, uh, has taken a significant hit. So in 1980, Arizona adopted the Groundwater Management Act. 
and this law regulated groundwater in certain parts of the state, so around Phoenix and Tucson and these growing urban areas in the center part of the state that were going to be getting water with the central Arizona Project Canal from the Colorado River, there was this regime of groundwater regulation that was put in place. But outside those areas, all around the other parts of the state, those areas were left unregulated. So what we have is this hybrid system in Arizona where in some areas, pumping and well drilling is regulated, and in other areas, it's totally unregulated. And there are no limits on how much water can be taken out of the ground. And that is absolutely crazy. And there is no pathway to regional groundwater sustainability. Uh, if that if that continues, I've been reading your stories and other stories like them about what's happening there. And um, I think what most people don't realize is that without groundwater, so the groundwater continues to disappear. Um, I think it's going to be exacerbated a little bit by the drought contingency plan and the movement of of Arizona farmers onto 100% groundwater, including subsidized wells. Perhaps uh, the situation will only get worse because the farmers have been uh, are migrating to to groundwater, and um, I think we'll see the continued disappearance of groundwater. Well, we are seeing the continued disappearance of groundwater there. And again, what I don't think people realize is that decisions are being made today that will affect the future existence of desert cities like Phoenix and like Tucson. That groundwater is the reason why those cities uh, are, have been able to thrive in such harsh conditions. Uh, so it needs to be protected in a much more comprehensive way than it, than it has been. So thank you so much uh, for bringing that to the uh, public uh, attention. So you're focusing on the unregulated part, um, but this is also uh, an area, you know, it's like a great loophole in that, hey, if I, uh, you know, I live in Canada now, suppose I want to come down there and and buy some land in this unregulated area, I could come there and I could start my own bottled water facility. Does that, is that right? I could just pump away? Is that still the case? That's right. Although, as far as bottled water facilities, I don't know if there being a big one in Arizona in these unregulated areas. Right. So is it agriculture that uh, is yes. the bigger user? And there's one other thing I wanted to mention about that, which is that in these areas that are unregulated in Arizona, many farming areas of the state, there is no information about exactly how much water is being pumped out of the ground because there's no requirement that wells be metered. So basically, the amount of water that's being pumped out isn't being measured. We can see by looking at the, the levels in the wells that the water levels have been going down. But to get a better handle on the problem, it would take having more information about measuring the amount of water that's being pumped. And so actually, since our series was published in the legislature, there have been a couple proposals that would involve metering wells in these unregulated areas basically requiring well owners to start to report annually on how much water they're taking out of the ground. And do you have any sense of how that legislation is doing? I think it's too early at this point, but there are proposals from both Democrats and Republicans in the legislature, and it seems like there is support building and some momentum for some types of changes in rural areas, at least to get a better handle on the problem. 
Um, it's so critically important to have those measurements. Without those, without the measurements, it's it's impossible to to manage groundwater sustainably. So they're absolutely critical. Um, that's part of the the goal of the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act in California to carve up the state into a number of different groundwater sustainability agencies, each with a plan uh, to bring their groundwater basin into sustainability, and that requires measurement and reporting. And even how that's going to be done is still topic of discussion. Uh, so it's very complicated, uh, and, it, and it really needs to happen. But, I, you know, I wanted to ask you right now, uh, what sort of feedback are you getting from people? Do you feel like that the average, um, uh, I don't know, how, how do we describe uh, people that live in Phoenix? They're not like Phoenicians. The uh, average resident in Phoenix, or the average reader of the Arizona Republic, do you think that they care? Do you think their stories are resonating with them? I do think people care. We've been hearing from a lot of people who say they're concerned about the situation, and my sense is that these stories are contributing to the discussion about water and getting more discussion going about it. Yeah, again, that's why I think we're lucky to have people like you working in this field who are really committed to to getting the message out and into uh, getting people talking about it. Uh, last topic I want to turn to before we wrap it up. I'm curious about uh, if you're planning on doing any stories about uh, what the Trump administration is doing with the decimation of the waters of the Americas from the Obama era, uh, really rolling things back to pre uh, the Clean Water Act. Um, really, what we're witnessing is probably the largest single undoing of water protection that the world has ever known. Uh, just wondering if you're planning on tackling that topic. Well, actually, I did write a story about that just the other day as the Trump administration finalized this new rule for what they call navigable waters. So they're basically rolling back a, a rule that was adopted during the Obama administration that expanded federal authority over ephemeral streams that flow part of the year. What they're basically doing now is stepping back and pulling that regulation back and saying, no, we aren't going to have federal regulation over ephemeral streams, or streams that flow during part of the year and are dry during other parts of the year. Of course, for Arizona and for the desert Southwest, that is the vast majority of streams and desert washes, uh, springs. So many of the streams in Arizona, if this rule stands, will no longer fall under federal regulation. That means it's easier for construction to happen on desert wash areas. And it also may be easier for pollution to end up in the water without there being checks on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's an excellent point about the arid southwest. Uh, most of the most of the streams, are, or at least the feeders to the big rivers, are um, are ephemeral. Uh, we're talking about maybe sixty percent, maybe more in in, in states like um, Arizona and and New Mexico. And I'm. I will say frequently that I lived for 18 years in Southern California, and the number of times I saw uh, a stream running naturally, uh, like the LA River or the Santa Ana River, uh, I could probably count them on on one hand in those 18 years. So most of the time, these things are these things are dry, uh, and so enabling industry, for example, to 
dump uh, pollutants into dry riverbeds just means that that water will, next time a storm comes through, that water will get swept up and carried in, carried down river, get carried down to the next city or carried into the next big uh, water body that could be a lake, that could be a reservoir. So uh, it's incredibly problematic, and I'll, I'll, look for that, I'll look for that story. And I also think it's important to say that this is all happening at a time when the Southwest is getting hotter and drier with the effects of climate change. And so that affects surface streams and streams are being hit on several sides. There's climate change that's reducing the flow of streams, including big rivers like the Colorado River, as well as smaller streams like the San Pedro River in southern Arizona. So you have that climate effect that's happening. And then at the same time, around the San Pedro River, for instance, there's this proliferation of wells over the past couple of decades. And so a lot of the water that would otherwise be feeding this river is being drawn out. So there's this uh, connection between the underground water and the surface water that is not recognized and is neglected in state law here. It's uh, basically they're treated separately when they're all connected. Um, so that's an excellent point, Ian, and it's something that is, it's not unusual. So we see the same thing in Texas. Um, even though the groundwater and the surface water are intimately connected, and, and as you just explained, you could be pumping near surface groundwater that's basically in connection with stream systems, so you're impacting this uh, stream flow. Um, that is, can be very difficult to treat to treat legally, so these are all things that uh, that we need to work on together to to get the get the message out. And it's been a, a pleasure working with you through the years. Thank you so much for talking to me today. That was Ian James. He's a reporter at the Arizona Republic newspaper in Phoenix. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Water. It's a podcast dedicated to the future of water and why you should care. It's a collaboration between the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan and the Walrus Lab. Thanks so much, Ian. Thanks very much for having me, Jay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That does it for this episode. I want to let you know we're keeping an eye on the reviews that you post on our show. Preferably, you'll leave ones like this one we got on Stitcher from my old stomping grounds, ESS at UC Irvine. Here's what they had to say. In contrast to many scientists, Jay has a great ability to explain the impact and take-home message about a complex and important topic water. The production value is quite good, and Jay has interesting guests. Thanks, guys. I miss you, too. My producer is smiling at me while I say this. We love the flattery. We do. Keep it coming. We also really want to keep the feedback going. If you want to say in how we do our episodes, if you have questions that you want answered, if there's something you love or even hate, if you've been listening this season, you know this isn't an ivory tower. We want to make this show accessible to everyone. And you may be listening to us, but we're also looking for what you have to say. You can email us directly at water.talk at usask.ca. You can keep up with us on facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter and Instagram, type in Let's Talk Water. I'd like to thank the people who put this podcast together. Mark Ferguson, Chelsea Laskowski, Amy Hergott, Laura McFarlane, Jesse Widow, Morgan Broughton, and Wayne Giesbrecht. A special thanks to the Arizona Republic for sharing their audio with us and to Southern California Public Radio and the KPCC show Air Talk for doing the same. I highly recommend Ian's entire six-part series on the website azcentral.com 
it's well worth a read. I'm Jay Family Eddy. All right, till next time, everybody.